My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 53rd episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I believe contributes greatly to mental and spiritual health, especially since we live in a fallen, broken world with no shortage of people wronging and hurting one another. The topic for today is forgiveness. With so many worldwide conflicts, with nations warring against one another, as well as local discord between communities, political parties, neighbors, family members, and so forth, what do we do with the inevitable hurt and resentment that can slowly begin to build as we inevitably injure, psychologically speaking, each other as we humbly try to live life. From my perspective, although by no means an easy task, forgiveness can be a way to let go of the psychological weight we carry from day to day. Therefore, I'd like to discuss forgiveness from within the secular psychology literature as well as a Christian perspective before concluding with a short practice to help us forgive those who have wronged us, reminiscent of Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. To start this podcast, I'd like to ask a few opening questions. What is forgiveness? What are its components and steps? How does forgiveness contribute to psychological and spiritual health? What, if anything, does the secular psychology literature have to say about forgiveness, including the steps needed and possible interventions to facilitate the process? How might Christians make sense of forgiveness? What, if anything, does the Bible have to say about the topic? And finally, what might classic Christian spiritual writings say about forgiving one another? Before offering a personal story and secular and Christian views on forgiveness, though, I'd like to get us warmed up with a few salient quotes. Gandhi once declared, quote, The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. The Dalai Lama is said to have taught, quote, All major religions carry basically the same message. That is, love, compassion, and forgiveness should be part of our daily lives. The Christian author and theologian Lewis Smedes once said, quote, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. The great Christian evangelist Billy Graham is quoted as saying, quote, Man has two great spiritual needs. One is for, for forgiveness, the other is for goodness. The 20th century Christian author and theologian Reinhold Niebuhr wrote, quote, Forgiveness is the final form of love. 
The great civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. once declared, quote, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. He went also on to say, quote, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. The prolific 20th century Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote, quote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Turning to the Bible, we have many, many verses on forgiveness. In Matthew 6.14, Jesus taught, quote, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in Ephesians 4.32, Paul declared, quote, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. As these quotes reveal, forgiving is a ubiquitous human need, both in giving it and receiving it. It is also an act of courage that is an ongoing attitude, and it can paradoxically help us to set us, not just the other person, free. Ultimately, it is an act of love and compassion towards others, and for Christians, forgiveness is needed because we are sinners who continue to sin on this side of heaven, and we are to forgive because God has first forgiven us. Building on these quotes, I'd like to tell a short personal story before exploring forgiveness from both psychological and Christian perspectives. I can still remember sitting in the room with this client. An adult male in his mid-40s with recurrent depression, one of his parents took their own life when he was a child. Over the years, he became increasingly angry towards his parent, blaming them for the loss of the childhood so he so desperately needed, filled with safety and love, which ultimately were lacking. Instead, he was left without a parent, and the other parent ended up dealing with a whole host of mental health-related struggles, such as depression, anxiety, and alcohol dependence. Moving into his young adult years, the resentment only grew, and my client ended up struggling with low mood, low self-esteem, and a loss of hope that things would get better. He also struggled to trust people, given he feared they will eventually leave him like this parent he lost. And as we worked together, it became apparent that he needed to grieve the loss of his parent, as well as work towards forgiving them, which would help my client to process the profound loss and ensuing emotional pain, as well as let go of the anger he was carrying, which prevented him from loving others. Gradually, he was able to describe the pain he felt, as well as begin to understand the struggles his parent had that led to their taking of their own life. Although suicide is never the solution, my client was able to, from a place of compassion, understand that his parent was not thinking clearly and, in a state of desperation, made an unfortunate, tragic decision. As he learned to forgive, he was able to begin to invest in others, and his depression slowly began to lift. As we concluded our work together, he was in a much better place, given he was able to let go from a place of love and compassion, not resentment which was consuming him for far too many years and burdening him to the point that he could not deepen his intimacy with others. With this powerful story as an example of how life-changing forgiveness can be, let's now pivot to secular psychology via the REACH model of forgiveness developed by the psychologist Everett Worthington. 
So in the last several decades, forgiveness has been researched extensively as both a variable or construct and an intervention. As a variable, it's been defined by the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology as, quote, willfully putting aside feelings of resentment towards an individual who has committed a wrong, but unfair or hurtful or otherwise harmed one in some way. Forgiveness is not equated with reconciliation or excusing another, and it is not merely accepting what happened or ceasing to be angry. Rather, it involves a voluntary transformation of one's feelings, attitudes, and behavior towards the individual so that one is no longer dominated by resentment and can express compassion, generosity, or the like toward the individual. Forgiveness is sometimes considered an important process in psychotherapy or counseling, end quote. As an intervention, researchers have developed key steps to help people forgive one another, such as with the REACH model, which I'll be talking about in a minute. Overall, research has revealed that forgiveness as a psychological variable is positively linked to well-being and positive emotions and negatively linked to negative emotions with intervention research suggesting that forgiveness interventions can lead to increased forgiveness and hope and decreased depression and anxiety. In this podcast, I'd like to focus on one intervention model developed by the psychologist Everett Worthington, who uses the acronym REACH, R-E-A-C-H. With the REACH model with which researchers found can improve forgiveness, five steps are included to forgive someone else, including, quote-unquote, recalling the hurt, empathizing, offering an altruistic gift of forgiveness, committing publicly to forgiving, and holding on to forgiveness. So the R in reach is recalling the hurt. The E in reach is empathizing with the other person. The A in reach is offering an A altruistic gift of forgiveness to the other person, the offender. The C is committing publicly to forgiving this other person. And the H is holding on to forgiveness towards this person who has wronged us, offended us, hurt us in some way. So let's now break these five steps down a bit further. With recalling the hurt, we're tasked with feeling the hurt caused by the other person as well as letting go of all attempts at retaliation. Instead, we're committing to seeing the other person as a real person, worthy of dignity and respect on at least some level. For Christians, this may involve seeing the person as created in God's image and a child of God, just like us. With empathizing, we are trying to place ourselves in the other person's shoes so we can have compassion and sympathy for them. With giving an altruistic gift, we are remembering that we too have wronged others and are in need of forgiveness and, as a result, offering forgiveness in an unselfish manager, ma- manner, sorry, manner, recognizing that we too, in, a, in an ongoing basis, on an ongoing basis, need forgiveness. With committing, we are documenting our act of forgiveness, possibly with a note that says, today I forgave them for hurting me, quote unquote. In doing so, we're reminding ourselves that forgiveness is ongoing so the hurt and resentment don't begin to build again. With holding on to forgiveness, we continue to write notes of forgiveness and build forgiveness into a narrative about the other person so it continues to last as an enduring attitude and decision, not a one-time act that leads to resentment and hurt all over again. It's all about how we really have a narrative about this person as well as how we maybe write about this person and speak openly about this person. 
So to summarize, the secular psychology literature has spent a great deal of time and energy on forgiveness, researching it as both a variable and intervention. Findings have revealed that forgiveness is positively correlated with well-being and negatively correlated with psychological struggles, such as negative emotions. Everett Worthington's REACH model is a simple tool to move through the steps of forgiveness, focusing on showing compassion for the offending person because we too need forgiveness and certainly compassion from others. With the REACH model, we are making an ongoing decision to forgive, especially since it can help us to live life again and has mental health benefits. So in our thinking, in our narrative, in our public discussions about this person, we commit to forgiving. For Christians, of course, there are additional unique considerations when it comes to forgiveness emanating from God's Word, the Bible, especially the need to forgive because we recognize God has forgiven us, despite us being undeserving of it. In other words, because of God's grace, we have been forgiven, which is an unearned merit or favor that we have done nothing to to deservingly receive. Because of the grace and mercy that God has shown us, we should extend this grace and mercy to others via forgiving them. Jesus, of course, explicitly taught us to forgive, which is another salient reason. Therefore, let's now turn to a Christian perspective on forgiveness. Because for Christians, a Christian worldview is foundational. In the Christian tradition, forgiveness is key, given believers in Jesus Christ are forgiven for our sins and consequently reconciled to God. According to the Upper Room Dictionary of Christian Spiritual Formation, forgiveness is defined as, quote, a gracious pardoning of transgression. With the defining noting, uh, definition noting that, quote, by choosing how we treat others, we choose how God will treat us. Yet, according to this dictionary entry, quote, we do not want to forgive because our adversary has put us in touch with our own powerlessness. And a decision not to forgive gives us a feeling of power, of superiority. We would rather win an argument than transform a relationship. Winning seems to affirm us by confirming our strength. We need a means to imagine a new way of feeling towards others, a way that will allow us to progress in the process of forgiveness. Christ forgave those who murdered him while they were killing him because he loved and understood them so well. But we need to allow ourselves time to grow, to change, to understand, to see our adversary in new ways. We can begin by being honest and venting anger in God's presence, offering to God our pain and helplessness and praying for a desire to forgive. We forgive both ourselves and others by allowing God's love within our hearts, end quote. The Holman Bible Dictionary notes that forgiveness is, quote, pardon for a fault or offense, to excuse from payment for a debt owed. Forgiveness is a vital idea for New Testament theology. John's baptism was for repentance and for, for forgiveness of sins, as revealed in Mark 1, 4 and Luke 1, 76 to 77. The idea is found in the confession of the, of the Christ child's destiny, revealed in Matthew 1.21 and Luke 1.77. It is the blood of Jesus' atonement that yields eternal forgiveness of sins, revealed in Matthew 26.28, Hebrews 10.11-12, and Leviticus 16 and 17.11. Jesus places enormous emphasis on a horizontal, that is human-to-human, forgiveness, 
Because Christians have been redeemed, they are obligated to forgive as they have been forgiven, revealed in Colossians 3.13. End quote. So in essence, forgiveness can be from God towards us as humans because of our sin, or we can forgive one another because of sins committed against us. We can also forgive ourselves for our own mistakes, having compassion towards ourselves because of our brokenness and because God has ultimately forgiven us. Ultimately, though, as Christians, we need Jesus Christ to forgive us for our own sinful behaviors displayed on a daily basis and because of our sinful state based on the fall of humankind found in Genesis and living in a fallen, broken world. Regarding Scripture or God's Word, the Bible, we have many, many examples of forgiveness as a prominent theme. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 55, 7, we read, quote, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. In Jeremiah 31, 34, we read, quote, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In Proverbs 28, 13, we're told, quote, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Psalms 32.5 declares, quote, When I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Turning to the New Testament, we read from Jesus in Matthew 6.14-15, For if you forgive one another when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others for their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Also in Matthew, we read in chapter 26, according to Jesus, quote, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 16, 37, Jesus teaches, quote, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In Luke 17, Jesus, Jesus goes on to state, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. While on the cross, Jesus family famously declared, quote, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In Acts, we read from Peter, quote, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. From the Apostle Paul, we read in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So in these passages, we read that God is a gracious God who forgives our sins if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross so that we could be forgiven. In turn, we're called to forgive one another based on Jesus' forgiveness towards us. In other words, for Christians, forgiveness is possible and mandated because of our recollection that Christ died for us to forgive us of our sins, even though we do not deserve it. 
As a result, even though the people who have hurt us uh, do not deserve our forgiveness, we do so anyway, remembering that we are, as Paul stated in 1 Timothy 1.15, the worst of all sinners, each one of us. Regarding the context for this famous New Testament saying that Paul sees himself as the worst of all sinners, Paul starts his letter, 1 Timothy, by noting, quote, Even though I was once a blasphemer and prosecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because of because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if the Apostle of Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament as an apostle of God, needed God's grace and mercy, we too need to see ourselves the same way. Turning to classic Christian spiritual writings, the writings of the Puritan author Richard Baxter, dating back to the 1600s, emphasize the need for Christian forgiveness, which I'd like to focus on next. So for Richard Baxter, we must start from a position of understanding our own sinfulness and sinful behavior and, as a result, our personal need for God's forgiveness. Because of the fall and original sin, our relationship with God is is estranged. Yet God responds to us in our fallen, wayward, broken state of ongoing sinfulness with, quote, love, patience, and forgiveness. From Baxter's perspective, we must always keep in mind two points— First, our need for forgiveness is based on our own sin and sinfulness, and this far outweighs the sin that others have committed towards us. Second, God is the most offended, morally speaking, by our sin, given he is holy and we are not. Yet, he still forgives, which means we should too. With the first point, Baxter rightly points to Matthew 18, 21-35, which is the parable of the unforgiving servant told by Jesus. In this parable, we read, quote, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. With Baxter's second point that God is more offended by our sin than we are, yet he chooses to forgive, which means we should too, he notes, quote, Remember first that whoever has offended you has offended, was offended, has offended by God by greater injuries. And if God forgive him the greater, why should not you forgive him 
nevertheless. In other words, according to Baxter, if God holds back the greater punishment of hell, we should certainly hold back the lesser punishment of mere human retaliation. To conclude, for Baxter, because we were all created in God's image, we should forgive both Christians and non-Christians alike, even if they do not repent, with forgiveness consisting of offering love, refraining from retaliating or seeking revenge, and trying to do as much good as possible. So with this understanding in mind, let's now turn to a Puritan practice, Puritan or scriptural or biblical meditation, to keep Jesus' model of mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness in mind. Drawing, too, from the REACH model from the psychologist Everett Worthington, especially extending an altruistic act of forgiveness like Jesus did on the cross. For this short practice, find a quiet place, free from distractions, sitting up straight in a supportive chair with your eyes closed. And when you're ready, say a short prayer to God, asking him to fill you with an awareness of his Holy Spirit and a willingness to forgive others because God has forgiven you. Now slowly read Luke 22, I'm sorry, Luke 23, 32 to 34. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. After reading this passage, begin to slowly, gently, and interiorly repeat the phrase, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Recognizing that Jesus, even on the cross, had compassion for the fallen, lost world, inflicting the greatest possible pain and punishment on him, even though he went, I'm sorry, even though he lived a perfect life and was innocent and sinless. Over and over again, repeat, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Offering forgiveness to those who have offended you as an altruistic, altruistic act, anchored to grace or an undeserved favor, since God offered you his grace in your and my sinful state. As revealed in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Allowing these words spoken by Jesus, the Son of God and Savior for those who believe in him, to penetrate your heart and allow you to forgive those who have inevitably offended you in this fallen, broken world. Sin is devastating. Sinfulness is devastating. And we continue to sin, not recognizing ultimately the consequences of our acts, what they do to other people. And so we need forgiveness from God and in turn can forgive others. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Recognizing that because we have been forgiven by God, 
because of the work Jesus completed on the cross, we are to forgive others, even those who have deeply hurt us. Ultimately, we have no idea how devastating sin can be, how devastating our sinful state can be. We only have glimpses. And if we ultimately knew, we would be crushed by the reality of sin and what it does. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Surrendering the burden of having to be the one to somehow pursue justice and seek revenge. Surrendering this burden to God, recognizing that God is omniscient and will be the one who rightly punishes others with the justice only God can have. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, emulating Jesus' heart for the lost and broken among us, even as we, he was suffering on a lonely wooden cross in front of a large crowd who mocked him and tortured him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Just resting in the reality that we do not need to be the ones who are omniscient and bestow justice. God it will do so. And we can surrender any retaliation, any resentment, any anger to him. Recognizing that because God first loved us, we can love others. Because God has forgiven us, we can forgive others. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And to conclude this exercise, say a short prayer to God, asking him to help you commit to forgiving others throughout the day and staying anchored to Jesus' model of forgiveness as you interact with your fellow sinners in a fallen, broken world. We need forgiveness. God grants it to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, and in turn, we can extend it to others. So to conclude this episode, forgiveness is both a a variable for measurement and intervention, has all sorts of mental health benefits, which means that it is helpful for us to forgive on an ongoing basis. Everett Worthington's REACH model is one way to do so, with research supporting its helpfulness and increasing forgiveness. For Christians, we are to forgive because God has forgiven us, and forgiveness is taught and displayed by Jesus. Overall, forgiveness is needed to love, given we are fallen, broken, and sinful in a fallen, broken, sinful world. Like the Apostle Paul, we are to see ourselves as the worst of all sinners that Jesus Christ took on human form to save. With this understanding, it becomes increasingly difficult to hold on to resentment towards others, and we can let go of the burden of somehow being the one to exact revenge or retaliate. Because Jesus did not retaliate, we too are to forgive those who have wronged us, displaying the love of Christ along the way. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms and join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.